Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to Hardline. It's the uh, final hour. We're here with uh, Nathan Hare, uh, chairman of the CAO of Western New York. You know, one of the things, uh, by the way, our conversations off air, I think, are far more entertaining than <laughs> the what we've been talking about. Yeah, the first hour was a waste. Uh, but but I want to talk to you about some of the things we're talking about off air. Uh when we talk about rights, mm-hmm. okay, we hear a lot on the left, especially about health care is a right. Education is a right. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about, you know, my vision of the way I interpret the Constitution is that a right is something that has to be enforced. And when you are talking about, uh, let's say, health care, for example. Right. I can't go. I don't help the situation by going in and enforcing a a parent for not providing for their child and then taking that parent away from that child because now we're creating a system where we're forcing the government to basically and our community to to raise a child. If you really look at the Head Start program, that's not designed. It, would you would you make the argument that Head Start is not designed to replace parents? Not at all. It's designed to supplement. It's a tool. It, right. and, and, and so an effective Head Start program cannot be, you know, a parent is working a job. That's mm-hmm. what we want. We want people to work. Right. And we want people to be a part of the community. So how do you look at the current system? You know, you mentioned that little four-year-old boy who, mm-hmm. who comes home at 2.30, but mom is raising that family. Mom's working the job. Mom's not on welfare. Mom's not sitting at home. Mom is doing, she's an example for those kids. Right. But she's not there from 2.30 to 6.30. Maybe 6.30, right. So So, what's the answer? So it would seem to me, knowing that that's the case, that you would have to design the school system in a way that the day is open up for the schools, where schools are open until 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. Now, the first thing people are going to say is, well, how do we pay for all of that? Where's the money going to come from? Well, everything doesn't require new money. Some things just require innovation. How do you redesign the day so that some teachers start school at 730 in the morning, some start at 8, some start at 830, some at 9, some at 930, so that you can have staff that are in the building until 6, 630, 7 o'clock every day. If you did it like that, then you can redesign how you schedule classes so that you can have teachers only teach 22 hours a day, but they would have their, say, uh, uh, six hours of what they call office hours. I'm not quite sure what they mean by office hours, but those six office hours could be used to provide, say, three hours uh, a week of after-school academic programming where you're doing homework help, you're doing uh, skill building, uh, you're doing in-grade course tutorial. And it would allow you to be able to build uh, through uh, volunteer associations, through enrichment programs. You can build uh, drama clubs, debate clubs, uh, football programs, baseball programs, all kind of stuff, enrichment stuff that you could do after school in the school building. So that by the time uh, that child gets done with their after school programs, they come home at 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. 
A, the child is tired. B, their parents are home. C, a tired child is an easy-to-raise child. You know that. If, if a well, child no, is asleep, you're okay but, with that child. But, right? but you know, l- let's, let's be totally honest with each other. When you say the CAO of Western New York, mm-hmm. when you use words like poverty, mm-hmm. when you talk about education, mm-hmm. Head Start, this is only for black people, only for African Americans. The fact of the matter is, that's not true at all. At all. There are more Caucasian white people right. that are homeless. There are yep. more white people uh, that are uneducated. There are more white people in jail. Right. Uh, there are, uh, when we talk about the Head Start program, the majority of the people that the CAO, uh, you know, is, is helping, serve these are Caucasian, Caucasians. Right, our Caucasian these are white children. People. Right. So, so why, where did we get confused? Where when I hear someone's talking about civil rights, automatically they're talking about rights for black people. Right. Suburban white people hear that and think, oh, this is we're only talking about the language that can only be used by black people. The, the, the things that only black people can do that white people can't do. And then black people are looking around saying, well, what was that called? Right. You know, uh, when, when you know, what do you call the Winter Olympics? You know, mm-hmm. that, there doesn't seem to be a lot of African-Americans represented right. in certain. Until right? recently, there were none. <laughs> exactly. So so my argument is, where do we get from the, okay, air your grievances. Uh, you know, you're upset that things are now, the pendulum is swinging in another way to correct, you know, sins committed for the better part of half this country's, you know, right. existence. We're now swinging the pendulum to the other side, but we need to focus now on civilian rights, as right. you eloquently stated. Right, right. I think that is what you you said something off the air that I think is also important. I think that Democrats and progressives have a tendency to take custody of uh, civil rights as if it's their piece of the story, not that's our piece of the story. I don't think of civil rights as the Democrats or the Republicans or, or, or the progressives and so on, I think Republicans should have the same focus on civil rights as anybody else should have because civil rights are citizen rights. They're, they're the rights that all of us have. There's no extra rights. I guess that's the best way I can say right. it. If, you, if you have a right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, there's no color scheme on that. There's, it's either a right to life, you know, uh, liberty in pursuit of happiness or it's not. So if if we focus on those issues and then figure out how do we make those issues happen for our communities, I always tell people when you think about government, there's no reason for us to be a country if we don't get something out of it. So the first thing you get out of being a country is protecting your borders so that we can all say we're the us's and everybody who's not inside our borders. They're the them's. Right. That's that's the right. first thing. Then once you make that decision, you make other decisions. Well, how do we make sure that we can get up and down our rivers? We have to dredge the rivers. Who's going to dredge the rivers? Us collectively. We're not doing that individually. Right. Who's going to build the roads to get us from one place to another? We're not going to do that individually. That's going to be done collectively. So we start making collective decisions about things that we have to do that can only be done effectively if we do them collectively. And we pay taxes to be able to get that done. Once you start making those decisions, you can now have more intelligent kind of conversations. Is it in our collective self-interest to ensure that every single child is successfully educated to the point that when they finish high school, they're able to get into a vocational certification program or a degree conferring program with the academic skills they've learned by the time they finish 
uh, uh, their senior year of high school. If we agree that that is something that has to be done across the board because we can't afford to have a whole bunch of disconnected, undereducated, you know, unable children walking around our country, if we if we believe that, then we've got to put our resources up to do that. Now, the enforcement part of it that you were talking about is, well, what if you have parents that just don't care? You know, you put these structures up for the parent for the child to grow up, but you as a parent don't do anything to support that that structure. Well, that then creates a different uh, issue, but we need to come to some agreement about that. If we feel that that means we should take that child away from that parent and find other parents to raise that child, that's a decision that we get to make. But I don't make these decisions or think about these things in terms of black or white. I think about them in terms of how do we get to the goal that we agree that we have to get to. Now, maybe there are some things that you don't agree are our goal that I do agree are our goal. The priorities are obviously going to change with individuals, but it doesn't mean that they're not important. Exactly. We're going to fuss with each other, you know, about those things. And sometimes David's going to be right and sometimes Nate's going to be right. Sometimes I might not be right, but I still get my way. Right. You sound right. (laughs) And so you win. That's how it works. Hey, I want to take another break. Uh, Stay with me. This is the real reason why I wanted you on the program to talk about these things. You know, the idea that uh, it's a different point of view, but also it's not just the, the demographics of a point of view. It's the fact that you lived through a period of time I didn't live through. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm talking to a man who has seen this change from the very beginning. I mean, President Johnson at that time, I would argue that as as polarized as we were, in the the mid '60s, mm-hmm. we almost came close to that two right. years ago. We yep. were we there was there yep. was a powder keg here, right? And it was community members that diffused that mm-hmm. because we certainly could have had race riots like they did in the late '60s here. What we're, I want to talk, uh, we're going to go yep. to break, but we're going to talk about some of the things that were done to avoid to that, avoid all that. The, yep. the cities burning across America, yep. uh, and it's hardline right after this. We're back with uh, Nathan Hare. He's the chairman of the CAO of Western New York. You know, one of the things that, uh, and again, we should really be carrying the broadcast between the commercials. But one of the things that I'm, I'm really, I get very frustrated at by being a conservative mm-hmm. is when I go to, you know, when I have conversations with, uh, you know, Muslims, Christians, Jews, black churches, white churches, this is the same ideology across the board, okay? Mm-hmm. There's no difference whatsoever behind, uh, you know, what you're learning in a Koran with Caucasians or what you learn in a, a black family in America. Uh, the most, I think it's, it, it was, uh, Hispanics and African Americans were the most religious demographics in the United and States. And still are. And right. still are. Mm-hmm. So there's not, the idea is that you don't want any person in the suburbs to lecture to you about Medgar Evers or Dr. King. Mm-hmm. But just like you don't deserve to be lectured to by a white person, Dr. King and Medgar Evers are American institutions. They're not black institutions. Mm-hmm. They stood up for American rights. They stood up, uh, you know, against the machine, right? Right. How do we make the the designation that every single African American, how can 98% of one ethnicity vote for a political party 
that pushes the programs that, quite frankly, I think are apartheid programs. Mm -hmm. Section 8 housing isn't suitable for black people. It's not suitable for any people. This is horrible housing. People in Gaza have better housing. People in Iraq have American taxpayer dollars that are better housing than our own citizens have in the United States. Right. See, I think that what happens is people make uh, pragmatic, if I could say it that way, decisions. In other words, a pragmatic decision is not a pure decision. It's not like I'm 100 percent this or 100 percent that. So I might be uh, 100 percent against abortion as an example. I'm not trying to fight, fight anybody over this. Right. right, right. I might be 100 percent against abortion. But when I look at the rest of what you're about, you might be 100% against public schools. You might be 100% against uh, uh, segregated or 100% or, or, or for segregated neighborhoods. Right. Uh, you know, you might be uh, for going to war uh, in Iraq against some people who didn't go to war against the United States, didn't have anything to do. We with, find what the things right. that separate us. Right. And see, that's so, see, so if you have like 19 things that I'm against and you got one thing that I'm for, then I'm not going to be with you. I'm going to be with the people that are with the 19 things that I'm for even though I'm not with the one thing that I'm against. I think that people make those kinds of, of decisions, right? And so what I'm hoping that we can do over the course of time is to get us to focus on what are our shared agreements amongst each other and make sure that we are doing what we can to enforce our shared agreements. I think that all of us agree that we don't want the world to warm up by seven degrees and end up with deserts all over the United States. I'm pretty sure that we all would agree with that, right? So we got to make decisions to ensure that we don't, you know, de de desertify or whatever the word is. Right. You know, we, we don't but, create that. Right? But we, when I'm looking at people in the city of Buffalo and I ask them, give me a top 10 list of the things that affect your life. Right. That's not even in the top 20. Right. People don't talk about that. But they don't care about it. Right. And then, but, but now we can argue whether it's real or believe it or not. But I'm saying that there are things nobody is going to stand for an open, you know, out of the, I'm saying racist things, derogatory things that we're we're well versed in handling that as right. a society. Right. But what we're not well versed at is saying, where do you want to put the brand new stadium? We want to put it in the Perry projects. Where we want to build up the city of Buffalo. We want to have more expensive homes and more jobs. But what happens to the people that live in their communities that are law-abiding, that are providing for their families, but they're in low-income areas? And those low-income areas just aren't good for the future of the city. Guess what happens? We kick them out. And where they go, does anyone really care? Does the government care where they're moving people from neighborhood to neighborhood? Because... In a period of time, there's going to be one section that's going to be low income and the rest moderate to upper income. That's the future of American cities in in of itself. That's a, a racist ideology, but it's unaccounted for and nobody seems yeah, to. That's own it. that's true. And, and because nobody really is putting together a strong ideological, not ideological, strategic framework about how to solve the problem that you just identified, since nobody has really done that. Nobody's trying to own one side of it or the other. You do get the Democrats will say we also you know, have a right to good housing. That's a great statement. I love it. Now, how do we get to good housing for everybody? Well, I haven't, I haven't solved that problem. <laughs> See, Let me tell you my good ideas. That have, yeah. And then, of course, then you'll get uh, another party that will say, well, I don't really think you have a right to uh, 
uh, decent housing. If you can get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. And I don't have a plan, and I'm not going to make a plan. So now you got those two different polarizations. And what tends to happen is uh, African people will go with the people that say they, they want housing but don't know how to do it, as opposed to the people who don't care about housing and don't have a, a, any kind of strategy for it. When at the end of the day, as you and I were talking off the air, is those are really the same positions, right? At the, no, end, of the, they, they at the end of the day, you're both in the when, same when, position. When right? you hear people talking about reparations, mm-hmm. right? That that it's it's very controversial, and it and it it, it it just divides everyone. And we talk with the words that we use, the language, how that mm-hmm. can be divisive on its own. Mm-hmm. But when there are ways that you can actually address the sins of a nation towards a specific people. Other countries have done it uh, with the Holocaust and everything else. But why does it have to automatically be a, a dollar figure? How do you put a dollar figure on someone whose ancestors were treated as subhuman right. or as property right. and then take two, three generations removed and said, you know, here's a tax credit. Here's an opportunity to get, you know, something because of what your your ancestors went through. How does that, how does that, what is the argument to make that work? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the tax credit thing might even be a viable way to spread how you did something like that out so that it didn't have such a severe cash flow impact on the country. I find it, however, a, a difficult concept for me to process in my head uh, because, A, everybody doesn't come from the line of enslavement. There's right. a lot of people who, who were there. Nobody in their families ever were uh, enslaved. So you have that issue. And then it's it's particularizing something that we're talking about literally hundreds of trillions of dollars. And you just where is that money going to come from? So you end up creating inertia that really doesn't take us anywhere. And I don't like to do that. I like to try to figure out ways what's that we possible. can go forward and do what's possible, right? The art of the possible. There's nothing wrong right, with that. Right, that's, right. That, that's a good science, right? right, right. And so um, I think that we have to approach this from a different perspective. How do we ensure that people who didn't have an opportunity to get into higher education or vocational certification, how do we ensure that that happens for people? How do we ensure that people have access to home ownership? There was a tw- the, the, the uh, uh, Homestead Act, uh, uh, the Southern Homestead Act, that was supposed to provide a route for African people in the South to get, uh, to get land. 26,000 acres of land were acquired through the, Olmstead, uh, the, the Southern uh, uh, Homestead Act and only 4% of that land went into the hands of African people. That's perverse, right? So how do we correct things like that so that that doesn't happen in the future? I don't really have all of the ideation about how we tackle all of that, but I think our approach has to be one that is uh, balanced and reasonable and pragmatic and not one that just says, you know, you did Bumper this. Bumper sticker. Right, because the you who we say did this is not that you. That was the LaGrange plantation, you know, right. 150 years ago. That you isn't here anymore. They're That's dead, right? right? That's <laughs> right. Hey, I want to get more with you if I could. Sure. All right, one more segment. Uh, Nathan Hare, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're going to take a break, get news. It's Hardline. Joined by Nathan Hare from uh, the CAO of Western New York, the chairman. We went through the uh, Buffalo News, uh, everything else. Now we're talking more 35,000-foot approaches here. And, you know, one of the things that I think uh, I'm fascinated by is the way not only you see the world, but the fact that, you know, I hate to date you as an elder, (laughs) but I always look at, at people that have come through elements of American history 
and we think, you know, as narcissistic people living in the present, mm-hmm. this is always the worst it's always been. Right. Nothing is worse as but, it is but, now. But you have not been here for a while. Right. So. You know what I'm saying? So, so it, so it you, has been worse. You go right. back to, but there was a time, Baltimore, uh, Ferguson, mm-hmm. that we were starting to hear the stories. Detroit. Of Detroit. When I was a child, Detroit had over 2 million people living in it. In a span of 25 years, it went from 2 million people to 750,000 people. People were dying on the streets from gun, gun battles over groceries. You would come out of a supermarket and you'd leave your groceries in a cart so you can go grab the rest of your groceries and bring them out. When you'd come out, somebody's grab, grabbing your groceries and has got a gun out to shoot you to defend them taking your groceries from you. I mean, we've had really difficult times in this country. So I don't want to minimize what we are living through right now because this is difficult times that we're living through right now. But I just want people to be mindful. It has been worse. Okay. No, but but it, it, it's there. I mean, when you when you consider how much anger there was, and the fact that Colin Kaepernick took, you know, it, it was almost like Black Lives Matter uh, was a movement. The Colin Kaepernick uh, protest was a movement, and we made him into one big amalgam and mm-hmm. said, "Well, here's what the the argument is." It's far more complicated than that. There mm-hmm. are different issues all across the board. But would you look at? race relations when Mm -hmm. you look at where it was really community stakeholders that put out that fire right because buffalo is no different than rochester and it's no different than any of the other northeastern cities uh ferguson was a situation that just was completely out of control and they they got to a point where law enforcement lost trust and if there's no enforcement it became violent. And Baltimore, same thing. It was the police. The, 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 what eroded was the trust in law enforcement. And then the city you know, responded. There are people in the community that are anti-Buffalo police. There are people that hold Buffalo police, uh, police accountable. But when you look at the relationship between the police department and the community stakeholders, there is a dialogue in Buffalo that does not exist in some of these other places mm-hmm. where it, 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 if things are bad or there is a questionable shooting or something happens, there's at least, you know, a, a checklist. Right. Well, where we I can, have to say this about Buffalo. Uh, and, and I know this is going to sound self ingratiating when I say this. And I apologize for it up front. But I've lived in Buffalo for all but two years of the last 69 years. I have never been in a community that was more that was easier to, to fit in and get along in than the city of Buffalo. You come to the city of Buffalo and within a day, you got friends. People will talk to you. People will help you. Now, people live in their own areas. Don't get me wrong. You know, Polish people live over here and Italian people live over there and African people live over here and Puerto Rican people live over there. All that stuff is true. But you can go into those areas. I could have my car uh, have a, a, a blowout on Abbott Road and folks will walk up to me and help me to fix my tire, right? Um, that's the Buffalo character. I mean, it, it, it has that quality, even though we have these parochial, you know, kinds of qualities as well. So I, I, I feel really good about Buffalo, to be honest with you, um, in spite of the fact that we have these balkanizations, you know, that go on uh, in our areas. What we have to be concerned about is, the behaviors that we see to go on sometimes like at the uh, holding center 
where somebody gets beat up or they let somebody get beat up, somebody gets killed, somebody's not prevented from, you know, hanging themselves, you know, and that sort of stuff. That's because you've got people who should not be prison guards that are prison guards in those facilities. Instead of trying to apologize for the prison guard's behavior by saying it's a tough job, why not say you shouldn't be a prison guard? you got to go work someplace else. Let's get people in here who really have the personality types that they can be prison guards. Same thing with police, you know, the same kinds of things. We spend too much of our time trying to make it a political issue when misconduct takes place. Misconduct is just misconduct. I don't even put it on racism or this ism or that ism. Misconduct is just misconduct. If I if I steal from you, does it matter whether I'm black or white? If I steal from you, I'm stealing from you, right? That's it's wrong, wrong and it shouldn't be done. We, we right. should address that, right? And I think that we have to adopt that kind of framework in terms of how we deal with our issues in our community. We have to figure out how to prioritize our resources, how we spend our resources in a way that allows us to be able to meet the challenges of our day. And we've got challenges of our day. We have Buffalo doesn't just have uh, tough neighborhoods. We have old neighborhoods. Mm. The average born on date of a house in the Maston District is somewhere between 1906 and 1913. We got 110-year-old housing. That's the normal housing that we're living with. Where the house I live in in Amherst was born in 1987. That's a completely different kind of house. Insulations built into the walls. Lead paint. All <laughs> no yeah, no, all no the, lead paint, no right. asbestos. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's built to the, the, the best modern standards and so on. We have to figure out a way to address those kinds of issues and organize our resources that way. If I had control of municipal housing, I would take places like the Perry Projects. I would gut them. I would knock out these walls. Instead of having a building that's got 24 apartments in it, I'd have a building that would only have eight apartments in it. And I would try to make it as, you know, luxurious a place as I can make it, you know, because you're in a pretty tight community. If you if you rebuild it right, you can make this a very nice place for people to live and then use the resources, the net resources from that to be able to build affordable housing someplace else. So but what do you do when you look at the housing crisis? Mm-hmm. Right. In 2008, everything is always, you know, rooted in the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. Allow people to have ownership and allow people to live a dream, even if it's an artificial dream, Sure. even if we know that these people are going to foreclose, white, black, Hispanic in between, if you're making a certain amount of money and you have a certain amount of debt and we give you access to credit that far exceeds that, mm-hmm. you don't have the bank come back and say, wait a second, it's time to pay the piper when you know that that person, when they applied for that loan, didn't have the ability to cover it to begin with. Right. 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 So predatory practices are here, but predatory practice for, for you know, sin's good for a season, right? I mean, <laughs> the, the fact is, it's good to have a house. Right. It's good to feel like right. you are contributing right. and you're right. a part of a community. And if you're going to spend the kind of money you spend on housing subsidies, let's say a person is eligible for public assistance and they get, I don't know, a family of four, maybe they get $500 a month you know, that they can put towards their rent. But, you know, if you can put $500 a month on something, you can probably buy about 
uh, uh, ten thousand in uh, uh, principal for a hundred, maybe a hundred and ten or so dollars a month. So if you've got five hundred dollars a month, you can probably borrow forty or fifty thousand dollars. You know, with that piece of money, you can go buy a house. But, but don't, you don't find it at all nefarious that nobody thought of bailing out all the people who owned those homes. It was about paying back the banking system. Right. But when it comes to student loans, oh, my God, we've got to bail out every single Everyone. person with a student right. loan because it's a huge lobby. There's a tremendous amount of money. Yeah. Education is a and, much. And who are the people that have these student loans? Who's the lion's share of these people? They're the people that you feel you have to, to look out for. They're primarily 80, 85 percent Caucasian kids. Uh, it's and, the truth. And, and that's where the but political no one, muscle if, is. If, right? if there were candidates running for president in 2008 that said, stop giving the money to Lehman Brothers, don't even worry about Citigroup, why don't you pay off all the more? We, that's the money we put into it. The, the, we didn't have those trillions of dollars. Yep. We took a loan from China and we said we're going to pay back all these toxic mortgage the people still lost their homes right they didn't get their homes back right but the banks didn't lose their banks did they no that's they're bigger now than they were then so so if if you're gonna bite the bullet on a social program you would think you would want to do it for the most affected people that are actually putting back into the system you know you're not talking like a conservative i just want you to know <laughs> no i i am I, i'm talking about accountability <laughs> right. i'm saying it, it needs to be accountable and and i think fundamentally a, con, a conservative should stare for fair fairness right across the board yep. and if you're going to say one group deserves a bailout which everyone seems to be on board of these poor kids didn't know what they were doing when they went to college I look back at 2008 and said, well, what did you do with the housing crisis? Uh, you know, you hear about uh, uh, this earned income benefit. where Earned people, income tax credit. Right. There you go. When I, I'm, I'm actually talking about the uh, just, you know, the Buttigieg and some other candidates on the left are talking about just giving uh, – just money to people just you know because jobs are going to go away that's another new thing that i just heard in the last year or so the idea 50, that 20 grand a just year just give everybody you know 500 or 400 dollars a week you know that they got a living piece of money you know to uh to work from do you think though that we could at least find <laughs> sounds like star trek to but, me. <laughs> it, but couldn't we find common ground to say if you're going to put money into the east side of buffalo which obviously no one seemed to care about mm -hmm. for the better part of 80 years now. Mm -hmm. If you're going to put money in the east side of Buffalo, maybe those construction jobs should be done by the people of the east side of right. Buffalo. If right. you're going to invest money into the east side that you pass a law that states that if plumbing work is going to be done in a certain section, that those jobs go to the people that do plumbing in that right. section. I mean, right. isn't that how you, if right. there's going to be a social program that gives back it should at least benefit the people who live there. I'd go even further than that. I'd move those prisons from these tiny communities, you know, all over the state. I'd move those prisons into the cities where those pe those prisoners come from, and then let the people in those communities be the laundries and be the uh, the carpenters and the plumbers and so on that those prisons would need, so that at least the people would benefit from. The economy that comes off of those people being in now those. you sound like Carl Pelladino. I, I know, I know, I know. I was thinking about Carl when turn I was it, saying that turning too. the prisons into uh, <laughs> into apartments. Now what's happening? All right, listen, we're gonna have one more segment with Nathan Hare, uh, just an open dialogue talking about. It. I I really appreciated this time. 
I really did. I thank you. And oh, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's to all Day. All of you out there. When, right? when is the show on Saturdays? It's on uh, Saturdays from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock on WWKB, a sister station to the station here. And your uh, website is? Is www.caowny.org. There you go. There it is. Nathan Ayer, thank you so much for your time. You are most Appreciate welcome. It. Thank uh, you. Take All care. Right. We'll be back right after this break. It's Hardline. Welcome back to Hardline. You know, that last, what, hour and 30 minutes, uh, there were people on hold that I just, I didn't want to take calls today. I did, and no offense to you. Uh, but I just, I really, really appreciate that type of radio. I love bringing someone in that you have, really, you don't have any connection to ideology, politics. You come from totally different walks of life. We're different age groups. We've had different journeys and different experiences. And you could sit down and you don't have to be, you know, narcissistic enough to point out where you disagree. But you can defend where you come from. He defends his point of view. I defend my point of view. And you have a conversation and you leave with a mutual respect. Uh, Whether or not I even believe in the Head Start program or I think that our taxpayer dollars should go in this direction and what the what the product of that comes out of uh, these public groups that are funded by taxpayer dollars. Here's what I, I, I certainly will defend. Nathan Hare was not given an opportunity to defend himself. And there were allegations that were made against his character that if you have evidence and you want to back that evidence up, more than happy to bring you on. But that was not a piece that was written with the other side. And quite frankly, I don't think it was fair to him. I don't think it was fair to his organization. Uh, Do I disagree with Mayor Byron Brown? You better believe it. I have a ton of different, the way we see the world, completely different. But do we attack people that we disagree with? Do we just go after them because naturally a 69-year-old African-American uh, you know, who who deals with, uh, you know, uh, poverty and, and everything else. He's far left. You're far right. And you're going to just bash each other's heads in when they sit down. Well, that's maybe that's the, the radio that that you're accustomed to or you appreciate. I don't want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of dialogue. I want to be a part of finding out where the commonality is uh, and then deciding for yourself where, how you want to live your life? What are your principles? How much do, because at the end of the day, you know, whether it's the border, immigration, who, what communities are affected the most by it? If you're a person that says that I only want success uh, in America for people who look like you or people who share your background, if those are the only people that you want to work jobs or you want the only people to be successful or have families that love them and children that are taken care of, then I'm sorry, but you're a part of the problem. This is about, you know, you could look at what's happened in Canada, India, Pakistan, Israel, Iraq. This is about the United States, the citizens of the United States. We are all on the same team here. Do we disagree? Absolutely. Are there people on the other side that are repugnant? Absolutely. There are, without a doubt. We will have intellectual combat with them all day. But that doesn't mean that just because someone disagrees with us that we have to pull out knives and rip them apart. We listen and we learn and and hopefully that respect is reciprocated and and we can continue to uh, move on in a functioning society. But, you know, talk about that this was a 
a complete miscarriage of, of what I think you do when you when you have a story. And you, you give the other side, it's just due. You tell the complete situation. I mean, there there's a part in here where the DOJ and the FBI is involved. Well, look, if the FBI is talking to someone, the FBI has a reason to talk to them, they're going to do their job professionally. Uh, regardless of, of the last two years here, the 99.9% of the FBI and the Department of Justice are honorable, uh, you know, decent Americans who, who believe in the rule of law. And I don't believe that it's responsible to interview a person who's telling you hearsay questions and motives of, a, of an interview that occurred. The, the FBI would put that out there. If this guy was under investigation, you would hear about it. This is a big player in Buffalo with a $50 million budget and connections all across the Democratic Party, all across the state of New York. If they were going to take him down and he had done something to be taken down, you would have heard about it. And you would have heard a lot of Republicans probably jumping on the bandwagon, too. But I, I thought Polencar's statement was very weak. You know, oh, well, we'll see what happens. Implying that $50 million of his budget was coming from the county. It's $11,500 of a $52 million budget. And you want that audited? I mean, it's, it, the whole thing was n- nonsense. So, look. You can call us the station of Trump. You can say it's all right-wing radio. That's your opinion. My opinion is I'm going to be as fair and as honest as possible because all you have is integrity. All you have is your honor and your character. And when you see someone on the other side that's treated poorly, you reach a hand out and say, hey, I want to hear your point of view. I want to know where you're coming from. And if you're wrong, I'm going to dot you. And if you're not wrong, I'm going to give you a helping hand because no one deserves to have their character assassinated because of some infighting in an organization. And what happened there, and I don't necessarily look at these journalists at the Buffalo News and think they're bad people. I think they're doing their job, but it would have been a little bit more intellectually honest to get the other side of the story. We, we presented that to you today. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. We're going to have elected officials, more interviews, more commentary, and we'll even take your calls. It's Hardline. Coming up next, meet the press. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.